If you have a Bible, open with me to John chapter 12, 23. Earlier this month, we began a series that we've been calling uh, distinctives or, you know, even as we, we've, we've been talking about it, thinking of these as, as commitments or priorities of our church. It's not necessarily how we are distinct from other churches, although we are in some fundamental ways, but it's mainly about how some of our values are distinct from other competing values. And so we're trying to highlight and trying to, to show what, what you would already be feeling if you attend Redeemer for any length of time. That you would see these things happening. And so we're trying to give uh, names to these distinctives. So the first week we talked about uh, the idea of God-centeredness. That, that God is the center around which, around which everything else in our lives and everything else in this world should orbit. Um, last week, Marcus talked about this distinctive of maturity. So, so the idea here is that as Christians, um, we never arrive as a finished disciple, Right? We never arrive as a finished disciple, but we are continually making our way closer and closer to that center, that God center in this universe. Next week, God willing, we'll talk about family discipleship. And then finally, we'll finish our series on February 5th and talk about ministry to the least of these. This morning, though, I want to talk about this idea of multiplication. Let me read for us from John 12. It says, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So what do, we, what do we mean when we talk about the idea of multiplication? Part of what we mean is that, that this, this, distinctive to, this distinctive of or this commitment to, this priority um, to multiply means that we aim to grow as a church. We aim to have impact as a church. We, we aim to fulfill our mission as a church not by mere addition, but my multiplication. And it's interesting as you read the scriptures, really from beginning to end, that this idea of multiplication is sort of fundamental to God's vision for the world. It, as you open the book of Genesis, the very first command that God gives to his people, he gives to Adam and Eve is what? Be fruitful and multiply, multiply. He, he repeats this same command to Noah a few chapters later. Um, so again, see the sequence here. God has punished the whole earth for our sin. He's annihilated almost everyone except for one family by this global flood. And then he tells this one family, again, be fruitful and multiply. So the idea here is that God is wanting to, it's not just about biological expansion, it's about spreading his redeemed image throughout the world. This is the essence of the promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis, where he says that he will, he will make him a great nation, he will bless him, he will multiply his offspring so that they will outnumber the stars in the heaven and the sand on the seashore. God's idea is not just this one thing, but this multiplying effect of his work in the world. 
As you open the book of Exodus, the writer really sets the stage for the entire story. And he begins to show how God is fulfilling his promises to Abraham. And it says in Exodus uh, chapter 1 verse 7, But the people of Israel, they were fruitful, and they increased, they multiplied, and they grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. God is making good on his promise of multiplying his people across the globe. And again, not just biological, but the spiritual, showing his image, his glory, pushing in to every nook and cranny on the planet. He wants his image multiplied throughout the world so that he'll say in Habakkuk 2, so that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the seas. That's our mission. Our mission, God's mission, God's vision for our life, God's vision vision for our church, God's vision for all of humanity is so that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of his glory as the water covers the sea completely. And we make our way to the New Testament. Jesus uses the same concept of multiplication to talk about the kingdom of God and the mission of God. In Mark chapter 4, he says, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like the grain of a mustard seed. A mustard seed. The, the, the smallest seed in the ancient world, in ancient Palestine. This, this, this idea, it was, it was used as a, as a sort of metaphor for something very, 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 very small. And so Jesus is trying to think here. He's talking to his people and he says, you know, how can we, what can we compare the kingdom of God to? And he says a mustard seed. A mustard seed. But what was, what was interesting about a mustard seed is that, that when you, even though it was the smallest of all the seeds, that when you planted it, it could, grow, it could grow huge. It wasn't a tree, but this plant would grow huge and it would flower to 10, 12 feet tall and even birds would rest in these. It would cover the earth if let loose. He says, it's like a grain of mustard seed, which sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds. Yet when it's sown, it grows up, becomes larger and larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nest in its shade. One writer says the growth of of God's kingdom, the growth and expansion of God's mission, it, it usually outwardly appears unremarkable. When you see God's work in the early days, even in your own life, when you see what God is doing in your life, for some of us we get discouraged because it seems so unremarkable. He says, but the influence of the kingdom develops progressively to reflect the visible glory of God. Sometimes followers can be easily discouraged by the fact that many of the powers of this world or the established structures of this world, they seem to overshadow what God's doing in our church or in our lives, in our heart, in the world. And yet Jesus encourages all of his people, he encourages his followers to trust that God's promises will grow like a mustard seed. What could be very, very small in your heart, maybe a whisper from the Lord, the smallest of of church plants, of ministries, of contributions, they grow. God makes good on his promises. He makes good on his promises to fulfill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. God's vision for humanity is to proclaim the knowledge of his glory in every nook and cranny, in every neighborhood, in every nation, to the uttermost parts of the world, so that his redeemed image would be multiplied. And this, many of you hopefully have heard this verse many, many times. Hopefully some of you have it memorized. Matthew 28, Jesus gives us his great commission. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Go. 
Go therefore and make disciples. And he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And he promises them, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is how Jesus chooses to, this is the last message that Jesus leaves with his disciples before he ascends to heaven. He tells them, go. And as you're going, as you're living your life, be making disciples. And not just, it's not just about information transfer, but he's saying baptizing them, bringing them into community. That's what baptism is. It's bringing them into this community of faith, multiplying this community of faith. And he says he's with us. He's present. One commentator says, what Jesus teaches is what we've seen all throughout Scripture, that before the foundation of the world, God's plan for his kingdom, God's plan for his people, God's plan for us is multiplication. He's actually woven it into the very fabric of creation. God's plan was never just one family, one tribe, one people, one group, one nation, and one place. It was never that. It was for the whole world and everyone in it to be confronted by, this, by the reverberating effects of God's mission to every tribe and every tongue and every nation in the world. So this is our mission. This is, this is not just our mission as a church. I hope you hear this. It's not just our mission as a church. If you are a Christian here, this is your mission. So wherever God has put you down in the world, how is he multiplying his efforts? How is is his fame and his glory and knowledge of his glory being pushed out into the world? The the idea here is that there there is no end user to God's mission, right? So once we experience the gospel, once we experience transformation, it doesn't just stop with us. That's, that's fundamental to understanding the gospel is that as we are transformed, we are then compelled out to the world to push the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to every place on the planet. So how do we do that? Now, there's a, there's a lot of ways um, that we can do that. Um, so I mean, we could spend the, the rest of the year talking about all the ways, but I want to talk about something very specific this morning, and I want to talk about church planting, starting new churches. And if you're here this morning, if you can hear me this morning, you yourself have been affected by church planting. This itself, what we are in, is a relatively new church. The most effective way, I'll talk a little bit about this, the most effective way to reach non-believers with the gospel is through church planting, starting new churches. One leading missiologist says just that, planting new churches is the most effective evangelistic method under heaven, period. Tim Keller writes famously in this uh, well-circulated article on planting new churches, says new churches best reach new generations, new residents, new people groups. They reach the unchurched. Dozens of denominational studies confirm that the average new church, hear this, the average new church, meaning churches that are under 10 years old, the average new church reaches 60 to 80% of its members uh, from among those who are unchurched completely. Okay? So the majority of the members of a new church, 60 to 80% are coming from no church at all, no church background at all. Whereas churches that are 10 to 15 years old, 80 to 90% of their new members come from other churches or from those who had been a part of other churches before. He goes on to say, the vigorous, continual planting of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy for numerical growth of the church 
for renewal of existing churches, nothing else, not crusades, not outreach programs, not parachurch ministries, not continual growth of the megachurches, not consulting, not coaching, not renewal processes, nothing else will have the power of the dynamic reverberating effects of starting new churches throughout the world. So this is part of our commitment. This is part of our distinctive as Redeemer. And rather than going through all the statistics that we could do, I, part of what I wanted to do this morning was just share uh, my own story. Just to, and, and some of you guys have, have, have been a part of this from the very early days. Many of you have just been re visiting Redeemer for a, a little while. But I wanted to share sort of wh what we've seen God do in this little season. So in 2006... I was finishing my last year of college, and one of my professor friends uh, began teaching at a few schools throughout Africa, primarily in Kenya. Um, and as he was there, he, he realized now what many of you guys have heard, because we've said it so many times, that 80 or 90 percent, 80 to 90 percent of the pastors, the pastors in Kenya, have received no formal education whatsoever. And so uh, my professor friend and myself and a few other guys got together and we started this organization called Hamaray. And the idea with Hamaray was that we wanted to go to Kenya and raise up indigenous leaders to plant churches, to, to be trained, and then to replicate that training. Because there, while there are so many churches in Kenya and East Africa, there's very little knowledge of the Bible. And so that was in 2006. And the next year, and about that same time, I had been working at a church in downtown Houston. I was on staff. I was an elder. And I had been feeling um, this pull on my heart to go start a new church here in the U.S., not in Kenya. Um, and it's funny, when I look back at that time, I, I had been married for only three years. I had a two-year-old son, and my wife was pregnant. So if there's any potential church planners in the room, I want to say that's not the best way to go about it. Um, so while all this is happening, I'm working at a church, I've, I've got this new wife, I've got this new baby, my wife is pregnant, I'm feeling God pulling us away from everything that we know to that point and calling us to plant this new church. I didn't know where, I didn't know when, I didn't know how, but I felt this, felt this calling in my life. And a calling is a mysterious thing. It's hard to even think through what exactly is, is happening in someone's brain or body when they're, when they're experiencing. I'll try to explain what I felt. The closest analogy I can come to is my, my certainty that I was to marry Brandy. Sometimes you just know, right? Like you can't fully explain it, but you, you, th there's this opportunity or, or there's this person. You say, this is what I'm supposed to do. And so it was, actually, it was actually much easier to ask Brandy to marry me than to ask her to move from Houston to Brenham where she knew no one to plant a church. But thankfully for all of us, she said yes to both of those. So for a long time, we, we waited and prayed and waited and prayed and, and wanting to not rush ahead of the Spirit, not wanting to lag behind on where the Spirit was leading, but wanting to keep in step with the Spirit of what He was calling us to do. And so with a lot of prayer and conversation with the elders in my church at the time, with friends and mentors, um, we, were just, we were just waiting for the green light. We didn't even know what the green light would look like, but we knew that God was calling us to this next step to start this new church, but we didn't know where, and we didn't know when. And then... Uh, one weekend, Brandy and I decided to get away, and we came to stay at a bed and breakfast here in Brenham. 
And even in that moment, it wasn't just like we fell in love with the city and said, oh my gosh, yes, we love this place so much. Now we want to move here. It was more, again, just that moment where when we were here and as we were talking even in that moment, because I was kind of in the thick of it, praying and talking together, we both just together felt like this is where God wanted us for this season. And yet we didn't know anybody here. We had no relationships here. Our, our, you know, we were newly married. We had uh, you know, one young kid, another one on the way. We had, our life was in Houston. My ministry was in Houston. My job was in Houston. We didn't have anything here. But this is where we felt that God was calling us. And so we moved. In early 2007, we, we sold our house in Houston. We bought a property here. The first person that I ever met was Brad Beavers. He was my realtor, so it's a great uh, guy to know. That was the only person I even had connection to because we had to buy a house, and so I met my realtor. So early, early on, we moved to Brenham, and thankfully, Brad and Jessica started meeting in our living room, and we started reading the Bible and praying together and having dinner together. That was it. It wasn't glamorous. There was nothing sexy about it. It was just a few people gathering together to sit in the living room and read the Bible together and pray together and to share a meal together. That was it. That was 10 years ago. Um, and it was, it was very, very hard. It was so slow. So even this overwhelming feeling that I had that God was calling me to this, of course it's going to be successful and it's going to be big and God's going to do all kinds of amazing things. Once we got here, and we, we really had boots on the ground. It was just, everything just slowed way down. And it's as though God was, God was saying this, <laughs> remember the mustard seed. Consider the mustard seed. Do, do, be slow, be patient. Just, you know, one of my friends, Garrett Starr, he, you know, he talks about quoting Eugene Peterson, just long obedience in the same direction. Right? You just keep your head down and work. And little by little, by God's mercy, um, people started coming to faith and people kept coming and then more people would come and people would, would, would be brought into the church. Almost, almost none of the people in our church uh, in those early days came from any other church. They were, either, they were either unchurched and were new to faith or they were, they were new to the area. Almost all of them, not all of them, but almost all of them were new to the faith. And while all of this was happening... While we were here, while we were reading this Bible, with the, reading our Bibles together with this growing group, we started having services at Calvary Baptist Church here in Brenham in the Fellowship Hall. We were a very small group. We, we would meet together. We would have church in the Fellowship Hall. We would share a meal together, and that was it. I mean, at that time, I think our whole church could share the same booth at Chili's. We were very, very small. While we were doing that, several of us were taking several trips throughout the year to Kenya to, again, to train pastors, to help plant churches, to sort of serve as catalysts to ministry there. So the whole idea of multiplication was woven into the DNA of what we were doing from day one. Little by little, from this little church, we saw God. We, we had this the beautiful privilege of watching God do his miraculous work of just what he said. He was building his church. It wasn't us. We were just uh, sort of there along for the ride. But we could see God working and moving and bringing his church together. Seeing the knowledge of the glory of God be pushed into every corner. Five years before um, we moved to Brenham. My brother Marcus had, had uh, started a church in Brenham called House of Worship. And House of Worship grew out of uh, the ministry that Marcus and, and maybe several others of you even in this room today um, were doing among those who, um, who weren't already being reached by the traditional churches in Brenham at the time. 
And so they'd been doing deep ministry uh, across a wide range of areas. And as this community began to form, this church began to form. Mark watched God build his church among this group of people. And we became friends as we were here and, and early church planners and uh, like-minded. And so our churches began to collaborate and work together. And we began to have this conversation amongst the leadership of the churches. What would it look like if we came together? Could, could, could we do more together than we could have ever done apart? And again, through long, slow, prayerful seasons, say, yes, we think we can. We think that this is what the Spirit is bringing us together for. So in 2012, Redeemer was born, formed uh, from a merger or a marriage between two separate churches. And by God's grace, many of you know, Redeemer celebrated its fifth birthday this past November. Just wait to where I'm getting, then you're going to really want to clap. Again, many of you have been a part of that story from the early days, either you know, with, with House of Worship, with Marcus, or, or in the early days of Christ Church with me. You've been around. Maybe some of you are brand new to this, and so we thought it was important to, to share our story of how we've got here. Uh, and, and to say, um, f- uh, for all of us, we, we wanted to celebrate the power of God's multiplying mission in the world from, from a mustard seed. In the last 15 years, so since 2002, since Marcus started House of Worship, we have formed or planted seven new churches directly. So both the churches that we have sent out uh, pastors to form or that those pastors have sent pastors out to form new churches. So we, we not only have daughter churches now, we have granddaughter churches. So seven new churches just directly that we've been directly involved with um, from 2002. And more, more churches in the pipeline, more new churches happening very, very soon. In Kenya, we have seen 50, more than 50 new churches started in Kenya over the last 15 years. Just unbelievable, I know. Just among these few churches that we've had a hand in planting, just in Texas, we've baptized over 250 people. We've seen 250 people come to faith over these last few years in Texas. In Kenya, we have seen 1,800 baptisms from churches that we've had a part in uh, serving. Just among these few churches, we've given over $1.1 million to church planting and missions over these last few years. Staggering, right? Staggering. We have members serving in or we are contributing directly to the ministry in, in the United States, in Mexico, in Kenya, in England, in Moscow, in South Sudan, in South Africa, in Guatemala, in India, in China, in Haiti, in Eastern Europe, and more and more and more, right? 15 to 20 countries where we are directly involved in ministry on five continents. Let me just read you this passage again. What can we compare to the kingdom of God? What parable shall we use for it? It's like the grain of a mustard seed, right? Don't underestimate what God is calling you to do this year with your life, with your family, with your relationships, with the opportunities that God has put in front of you. God does big things with small things. I feel like I could go on and on and on about sharing our story, but I want to leave you with this. We, we, we don't know what the future holds for Redeemer, but we're trusting the Lord and we are, we are praying together about what this next season of multiplication might look like at our church. New churches being formed, more missionaries sent out, more work supported. And so I am am pleading with you to plead with God about where your place is in all this. 
not just with, with Redeemer per se, but how, how God might multiply his glory in the world through your life and through your relationships. What might that look like? Charles Spurgeon famously said, you are either, if you are a Christian, you are either a missionary or an imposter. Right? Those are our options. So what does that look like for us as a church? Some of you may be here today, and, and God may actually be calling you to plant a church. That may be where you're at. That, God's speaking to you. you. You may not have, again, when I felt that, I had, I had no answers. All I had were questions. I want to encourage you to, to listen to God's call. He may be calling you to another country. He may be calling you to another ministry. He may be calling you to, to start something new or to join something that is existing or even just rethinking or recalibrating the expectations that you have on your life, just where you're at right now. How might God multiply the glory of his image in the world through you? Some of you may be called to give, to invest in kingdom work. I think all of us as Christians are called to invest in kingdom work. What does that look like for you? What does that generosity look like for you? What, is it, what does it look like to see the multiplying effects of investing in new ministries, new church plants here and throughout the world? All of us who are Christians here today are called to pray and ask the hard and maybe for some of us terrifying question to God of what would you have me do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to serve? How much do you want me to give? What, what should my life look like in response to this call? And it won't be easy. This is what we read in, in John chapter 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. There's a sense of, of sacrifice being required, of something being buried before new life can come about. Faithfulness is always rewarded. I'm encouraged about what God has done. It was fun to pick up the phone today and call a lot of these church, or this week, and call these church planners and just hear from them about, about people who are coming to faith in their churches, the money they've invested in church planting and ministry throughout the world, the, the, the areas across the globe that we have involvement in. It was just encouraging to my heart, even stirring for me in remembering those early days of, and asking for us the question, what's next? What's next? We don't have the answers yet. But I think it's important for us all to ask the question, for us collectively as a church and for us as individuals. The first day I moved into my uh, college dorm after high school, as I was walking through the hall, someone had taped up a piece of paper on my dorm room wall. And so as I was moving in there, I looked at this piece of paper and I read it, and it stuck with me all these years later. Uh, and this person, his name was James Anderson, he wrote this. It was a prayer that he taped up. He said, Lord God, my singular ambition in life is to magnify your son. I don't care how you fit me into your plan. You may spend me as you please. I place no conditions on your arrangements. You set the terms of my service. My only prayer, God, is that you ordain for my life whatever will glorify Christ most through me. If my Savior be honored more by my death than my life, more by my sickness than my health, more by my poverty than my wealth, glorified more through my loneliness than through companionship, glorified more through the appearance of failure rather than the trappings of success, more by anonymity than by notoriety, then let your design be my desire. Only let me make a difference. This has been my prayer for many, many years. This is my prayer for our church that whatever God would have for us that his design 
would be our desire, that whatever would magnify Christ most through our church, whatever would multiply the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea throughout the earth, whatever he would choose for us, that we would be faithful in spite of the sacrifice. So I'm excited. I'm excited for this next season, uh, for myself, for our church, thankful for what God has done and what we trust that he'll do moving forward.